Welcome to the More Than Hearers podcast. I'm one half of your host team, Orion Williams, and I'm here with the other half, my my other half, my better half. No. <laughs> Peter Willis. I, I'm going to tell Mrs. Williams. <laughs> you said that. Uh, she is my better half. You're just this, you're the, uh, the otter half. I don't know what. You're just half of the team. She's not on this team, okay? So leave her out of this. Fine. <laughs> Fine. She doesn't even listen. <laughs> Watch her listen. Oh. All right. If you're listening, then uh, you know that uh, on this show we talk Bible. And we're going to do that in a book that I'm going to tell you in just, like, just a minute. Uh, I wanted to give you our email address if you want to let us know how to... Um, what? If I, if I wanted to let you know how to contact us, I would tell you you can email us at podcast at morethanhearers.com or the ever-present facebook.com slash morethanhearers. And you can directly message us. Uh, Peter's at mth underscore Peter. And I'm at Orion Plays Music. And we are in the book of Luke, Peter. Yeah, we are. In the first chapter. Yeah, chapter one. That's a good place to start. It, it is. It's a great place to start. Where we finished Ephesians and uh, with with no fanfare, uh, slotted to move forward into a, another book of the Bible, and uh, Luke is what came out of the hat. That's not true. Actually, we didn't have a no, hat. I mean, I'm hat. wearing a hat, but, but there were no. There was nothing in the hat. No, we didn't to draw, draw it out. from. I can't remember how. I or we came to this conclusion, but we don't want to date this episode too hard because if you're listening like in six months, but Christmas might have had something to do with it. It's coming very quickly, and it it lines up nicely with where we're at. Uh, it, it's gonna work. So yeah, there you go. So Luke, the the Gospel of Luke, if you will. Um, Luke's this really interesting guy. I was going to say character, but if you know me and you've, you've heard any amount of my teaching, I like to avoid words like character. Story. And story right. in relation to the Bible because um, not just a character somebody made up, but Luke was a real dude. He lived. He was alive. He walked on this earth as we walk on this earth, unless, of course, you don't walk, in which case... He uh, walked differently than you don't walk. Right, exactly. Um, And I don't necessarily like the term story because it it almost fictional... tend to fictionalize the Bible in our minds. I can't remember if we've had this argument on the show or not, but I love the word story for real stories. And I, I would lean towards the term account. Ah, that sounds so I know. formalized. And Have I explained to you the why on this? Uh, I think I know, but no, go ahead. Uh, I'll explain to the listeners the why. Yeah. All three of you. So uh-huh. uh, listen close. Uh, at one point in time, uh, I was in youth ministry. I was a youth pastor. That wasn't my job title, but that's, that's what I did. Um, and I had this great group of kids, which every youth pastor I think says that, but um, a lot of them were uh, big fans of like the Harry Potter stories and some of those other, uh, uh, the Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. Hobbit, that sort of thing. These stories, and they all loved them and they got into them and they were into the characters and the lore and everything else. And so it was an attempt by me to differentiate 
the account of scripture from these fictional stories. They loved the characters, they loved the stories, they loved the everything, but they had the presence of mind that while they loved it and loved being immersed in it, it wasn't real. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to draw them to the differentiation that scripture is real. These were real people and real accounts and real happenings. And that's why I wanted to separate the words. And I've just gotten stuck there. Yeah, sounds like it. So, All right, uh, you call it an account, I'm going to call it a story. That's fine. I don't know if I'll call these guys characters, but... Yeah. But they are in this story. <laughs> See? Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. I know. Luke was a real dude. Okay. Um, Luke, if you know any Bible at all, um, Luke's often referred to as Dr. Luke. He was a doctor I don't know of what. I don't even know where that comes from other than historical accounts. And I can't tell you whose historical accounts we know that from because I didn't research it that far. <laughs> nice. Um, the honesty. <laughs> The only place Luke appears in the Bible is the stuff he wrote. Um, he did travel for a while with Paul. It's really interesting if you read through the book of Acts, there are sections where Luke is writing about, Luke wrote Acts, by the way, Luke is writing about uh, part of Paul's journey where he's not with Paul. And he will say things like, then they, and they went to such and such a place and did this thing with these people and they and Paul and this. And then in other places he writes, we, we boarded a ship or we went to the church at or whatever. And so Luke traveled periodically with Paul, knew Paul well. And in those journeys in time with Paul, also got to interact with the other apostles. I'm sure he came uh, in contact with Peter uh, probably more than once because Paul traveled back to Jerusalem frequently. Uh, so at the end of each of his missionary journeys, pretty much, he ended up back in Jerusalem at some point. And so... Luke is this uh, obviously intelligent guy. He's a fantastic writer. Um, and so he wrote the Gospel of Luke, or the story of Jesus. And then he wrote the book of Acts, which is kind of what came after. Some people think he wrote it all at once. Some people think it was two separate writings. They're written by the same guy, Luke. They are written to the same person who will appear here in verse 3. His name is Theophilus. Who is Theophilus? I don't know. It's the guy Luke wrote Luke and Acts to. Um, so yeah, uh, Luke probably had a lot of other uh, stuff to draw from in writing his account. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the three uh, of the four Gospels are referred to as the synoptic Gospels because they are very similar in their synopsis. Paul, sorry, I feel like this is as good a place as any. Paul references uh, Luke in Colossians uh, as a okay. physician. That's where we get that. Is that where that's from? Thank yeah. you. I, I couldn't remember any of that. So um, so Luke's an intelligent guy. Anyway, he, he wrote uh, this gospel, and we're going to go through it, and it really starts um, before Jesus' life. It kind of opens with an intro to John the Baptist, an intro to Jesus, and then just covers... Uh, the life and the ministry of Jesus. And so I thought if there's a great place to go in Scripture, um, especially with, as Orion alluded to, while we're recording this, it's coming quite close to Christmas time. I thought it might even be fun when we do Luke chapter 2 to record it in like Santa hats. But then that seemed almost maybe a little sacrilegious. So I don't know. Plus no one would know or see. I think it would come through in our voice. You think so? I, oh, 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 that's yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's that's the whole effect I was going for in that idea. I just thought it's Christmas story. Why not wear 
uh, a pagan representation, pagan of, representation yeah, of Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, maybe we should wear <laughs> mangers on our heads instead. That should be what. That should be it. That's it. That's bizarre. Uh, we're not going to do that. No. Okay. No, that shouldn't be it. Okay. Back. So, the uh, the Book of Luke. If you're in your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the first three books of the New Testament. You are going to Luke chapter one, and here we go. Chapter 1, verse 1 opens with, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those whom from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself, meaning Luke, have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And there's not a whole lot of doctrine here. It's really just an introduction to the book. But I love this, that Luke goes, hey, you've heard all about this Jesus character, but I want to write it down based on talking to people who were there. They were eyewitnesses. And all of this has been shared with you, but I want you to have it in your hand. I want you to be able to see it and read it. Obviously, um, we can extrapolate now and uh, much many years later that this writing had enough of an impact that Theophilus wasn't like, I'll keep this for myself. Um, it got shared. It got shared to the point where it's now in our Bible. It's, it's part of the canon of Scripture. And so um, here we go. Verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron, and both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. A couple of background notes for you here. For those of you who aren't super familiar with some of this stuff, and you're like, that's a lot of names and places and things, and so what? Uh, Zechariah is a priest. He's, they're both descendants of Aaron, which means they belong to the tribe of Levi. Israel, 12 tribes. The tribe of Levi were the servants of the temple. They were the priests. Uh, priests and such. Um, uh, priests, essentially. Um, all of them. That's what they did. Mm, all of them within a certain age range. Right. And the males. And the males. Um, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. Same I, know it, I know what you meant. It's the same thing. Anyway. Uh, Zechariah is one of those guys, and he belongs to a particular division. They're, they're grouped for different tasks and different things. Um, who's Abijah and what does it mean? I don't know. But uh, his wife, Elizabeth, also a descendant of Aaron. Um, their lives, if she's a descendant of Aaron, that means her father was a priest. Their lives have surrounded the work of the temple. Um, but they're childless, verse 7 says, because Elizabeth wasn't able to conceive, and they were both very old. Obviously, we're setting up something here. One of the things I want you to recognize, and it's I don't want you to recognize it because it's going to play out in the story. It will a little bit. But because it's under, it's important to understand the context of the culture of the day when you read Scripture. What did this mean to the people who were listening? Um, uh, in society at that time, and I don't want you to send me dirty email. Not dirty email. I don't want you to send me dirty emails anyway. <laughs> Please don't. Don't send me nasty emails where you're upset about this. It's not, I didn't do it. This was culture of the first century. A woman's worth was in her ability to produce offspring. Plain and simple. There may have been women who didn't want to. It doesn't say that here. It says that she was unable to conceive. What you could infer from meant she tried. She desired to conceive. 
So she probably, um, being very old and never having had a child, might have been whispered about in the hallways um, and certainly probably felt, um, may have felt less than in society on some level because that's how society identified a woman's value at the time. I'm not saying that's the case now. So verse 8, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go to the temple of the Lord, go into the temple, sorry, of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. A little more background. Uh, if you look up, you can Google the, a model or the layout of the first century temple. Essentially, you had different courtyards. They called them courts or courtyards. You had like the court of the Gentiles where everybody could come. That's where you bought your, uh, my grandparents went to the temple of Jerusalem and all I got was a stupid t-shirt t-shirt. Um, this is where you could buy your, you know. Sacrificial. Honk if you or... love the temple bumper sticker. Everybody could go. Then from there you had a gate. You went into what was called the court of the women where Jewish women could go, could go into there, but Gentiles, no Gentiles, man, woman, otherwise, could come into the court of women. You had to at least be a Jewish woman. You could also be a Jewish man to get in that far. Then beyond there, you had the inner court where only Jewish men were able to go. Um, and some of the outside altars and that sort of thing for sacrifices were in there. Then you had inside the, I forget what they call it now, but it was in the building. No longer an outdoor courtyard, but in the building. And there was this altar of incense and a few other things. And then a big curtain. And on the other side of the curtain was the Holy of Holies. Uh, where you could only the high priest could go in once a year. Where God's presence actually was. So these are the different stages. So Zechariah has been, his division's on duty. They're doing all the temple stuff. They're doing the sacrifices. They're doing all the things. It's their turn to work. And somebody's got to go inside the building and light the incense on fire, uh, burn it on the altar of incense just outside of the Holy of Holies. And the way they would do this is they would cast lots or roll dice, if you will. Seems like a weird way to do it because, you know, dice are gambling and the Lord's <laughs> not in the gambling. I'm just, I'm trying to be funny. But it's how they did it. Um, we even see it in Acts when they go to find a replacement for Judas. They pick a few people and they cast lots to decide. Isn't that an interesting faith statement, though? Like, Because they, they literally trusted God to make the decision through the uh, seemingly random physical encounter of these whatever they were throwing against whatever surface they were throwing it against. But they were counting on God to direct the outcome in a way that, yeah, like when you talk about gambling or whatever, like... You know, come on, God, I need a seven or whatever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Daddy needs a new pair of shoes. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously that's for personal gain, and it seems like it. It might still well be uh, ex an acceptable way to make decisions. Uh, would be to cast lots. It, it seems. I mean, I don't. Am I? Am I squirrely for thinking that that seems okay? No, because uh, part of me thinks the jaded listener might go, "God's not going to do that." That's ridiculous. Except that you don't know the rest of the story, obviously, if you think that, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to get interesting. Um, so Zechariah's an old dude. He's been a priest uh, since he's been old enough to be a priest. His division comes up, and not only does his division come up, but they're going to cast lots uh, for the burning of the incense, and it's going to fall on Zechariah. He's getting 
Uh, short of being able to go into the Holy of Holies, this is the highlight of your priestly career. Here's the thing, because it's based on what division is on duty and by casting of lots, you could be a priest your entire life and never have this happen. It's a big deal. This is peak of his career, pinnacle deal. So he's got the incense and everything going together. And it says, at the time, when the time for the burning of incense came, the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So everybody's there. He goes in and he lights this incense and he's praying inside. And then it says, verse 11, then an angel of, of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of the incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. A couple of reasons. One, usually when God shows up inside the temple, uh, somebody's coming out dead. Um, if you don't know some of the stories, uh, when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, they had taken to putting a bell around him and tying a rope around his ankle so that if God struck him dead, they could drag him back out and he wouldn't sit in there and rot. True story. Because it was that scary. So Zachariah's praying, he's in there, he opens his eyes for a minute, and Angel goes, oh, you peaked. No, no, mm -hmm. that's not what happened. <laughs> that's not what happened at all. But he's freaked out. He's like, uh-oh, uh, not good. I, I'm supposed to be the only one in here. This is how it's supposed to work. And uh, the angel says to him, do not be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. I have a question for you, Orion, and there's a lot of conjecture here, listeners, so hang on. Do you think while Zachariah was praying at the altar of incense, he was praying for a child? No, I don't think. I, I don't think so at all, no. personally. He's old. It's No, I don't think that. I mean, yeah, like you say, conjecture. I, I don't think that was on his mind. If they're already old, I have a feeling he hasn't prayed for that in some time. There's a point where either you accept or you give up. And I yeah. mean, that is the same thing. Yeah, they're pretty much the same. <laughs> they are typically the same thing. Um, so it's funny to me, this, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And, will, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And there's actually not a footnote in the NIV here, which is kind of a bummer because this is in referring to some Old Testament prophecy. I can't remember if it's Malachi or or I think it's Malachi, and I don't have the exact reference in front of me, but this is a thing people have been waiting for. This was promised about 400 years before this point that someone would come. And so this angel goes, here's the deal. Uh, God's heard your prayer. You're going to have a son. You're going to call him John. Please make sure uh, you're not sneaking him wine at the dinner table or let him take a sip of your Pabst Blue Ribbon because uh, God has said none of that for him. But here's the thing. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, before he's even born. And, and we're going to see that, believe it or not, probably next week. Maybe this week. I can't remember. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. If you're talking about historical prophets of Israel, Elijah's like top-tier guy. He did some super cool stuff to the point where he didn't even die. He just went up to heaven in a chariot of fire. He's that cool. And so um, 
The whole purpose, though, is that last sentence in verse 17, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so Zechariah goes, oh, God be praised. This is answer to everything. No, no, no. He talks back. <laughs> so Zechariah asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, uh, I'm an angel. That's not kind of, I mean, that's basically what he said, but he goes, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent, not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Do you think he was throwing in his own little thing? I was going to actually <laughs> ask the same question. I wonder. Or if God was like, and if he doesn't believe you. If he talks back, yeah. make sure you curse his mouth for the next nine months. Or if Gabriel was like, okay, you know, I got a little bit of power. I got a little say-so. Yeah. I'm, I'm just curious what happened. Yeah, I'm going to tell you you're not going to get to speak, and you wait till I get back to the home office. God's going to be in on this. He's got he's, my back. Yeah, he's going to back me. Yeah. <laughs> you wonder, right? But it's so funny. This First, he's terrified. He's in there. He's praying at the altar of incense. He's highlight of his job. He's he's at the pinnacle of his career. And uh oh, there's another dude in here. And this dude goes, "Don't be afraid. Uh, God's this, that, and the other thing. You're gonna have a kid. You're gonna call him John. No wine for men to drink. And he's gonna fulfill this 400 year old prophecy." <laughs> and Zechariah goes, "How can I be sure of this?" And I want to criticize the dude but I probably would have done the same thing. Like, really? How'd you get past security? How'd you get in here? He yeah. says, I'm Gabriel. It's one of the few times an angel's named in the Bible. Um, why are, did he? There are other? It's times? coming. Okay. I think it's in this chapter. If not, it's in the next one. Okay. It's Gabriel again. Well. <laughs> but for, for another, a change. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> He says, I've stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And so now you're not going to talk till the appointed day. So meanwhile, the people are waiting for Zechariah, this is verse 21, and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. <laughs> Where's the dude at? Did he try to sneak into the Holy of Holies and end up dead? When he came out, he couldn't speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. I want to see the signs. I kind of do too. Like, uh, like, uh, like Orion's making hand motions like fireworks. Yeah, like what? I mean, what? What looks like? How do you say an angel appeared? <laughs> yeah. How do you? How do you mime that? I, I don't know because what does an angel look like? Most people who can't speak speak American Sign Language, and I don't know how good you are with history and dates. But this is well before 1776. Sure. No America, therefore, no, no American no sign ASL. language. So I, don't, I honestly don't know. I have no idea. Verse 23. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So there's a little inference there from what I was talking about earlier about, you know, a woman's worth being in her ability to bear children. She definitely felt disgraced among her people for not being able to have a child. 
So in the sixth month, verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, she's been out of hiding now for a month, God sent the angel Gabriel, there he is again, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. That's important if you didn't know. That's really important. He's a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And she went, How can I be sure of this? No, that's not what happened. I'm sorry. (laughs) Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Now, I'm going to go on, and most of you already know where the story's going, but I love that it's in here twice. First, the, the angel says, greetings, this is back in verse uh, 28, if you're following along, you who are highly favored. And then again in uh, verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. Oh, to be a person who is favored by God. Above, you know, she's favored above others, obviously. There were certainly other virgins who went to church and stuff. They probably went on youth groups, mission trips, and all that other stuff. But she's found favor with God. It's just cool to me. I don't know. Uh, But the angel said, uh, do not be afraid. You've found favor with God. Verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Now, here's what's funny to me. She basically asked the same question that Zechariah asked a few paragraphs ago. He goes, how can this be? My wife and I are old people. We don't have kids. But Mary doesn't get stricken with can't speak. He goes, oh, no, no, I'll explain it to you. Mm. (laughs) It's just totally funny. He goes, the double standard. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. He goes, you want proof? Uh, Verse 36, I think I can't tell because I took my glasses off. Uh, Yeah, 36. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. So, At that time, it says, uh, verse 39, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. I love this. This, to me, is one of the craziest things in the whole Bible right here. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt or leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. If you don't know this about me, if I haven't shared it elsewhere... John the Baptist is one of my favorite characters in the whole Bible. Well, not you characters. Character. Uh oh, I said characters. He's one of my favorite people in the whole Bible. This dude was super cool, um, but flawed. Um, he says one of the dumbest things anybody says, and Peter said a lot of dumb stuff. Um, and Jesus commends him for it. I just like the dude. If you don't know the story, I'll give you the quick version. It's probably several chapters down. Uh, John's in prison. He's at end of life. He's not going to get out of prison alive. He's shortly away from losing his head, quite literally. And um, his followers are visiting him in prison. And he goes, hey, uh, will you do me a favor? Go find my cousin Jesus. And would you ask him if he's really the one to come? Or should we be expecting another? 
And it's so, Orion giggled because if you don't know the whole story, a little while later, when Jesus starts his earthly ministry, he starts it by going to John and getting baptized. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and a voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And John witnesses all of it. John saw it all. Fast forward three years later, he's in jail going, go ask him if he's the one to come or should we expect another? And it's crazy because the disciples go to Jesus and they go, hey, John's tripping out and he wants to know if there's somebody besides you. And Jesus goes, tell him what you see. Uh, The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, sins are forgiven. And then he turns to the crowd and he goes, that moron John. No, no, no. He goes, goes, I tell you, no greater man is born among women than John the Baptist. It's crazy stuff. It's just crazy. But this right here for me is John the Baptist, the first believer, right? Mary, who's pregnant, barely, like, a day, hours, yeah, a day, yeah. couple, I don't know how long it takes to get to the hill country, but maybe a couple days pregnant with Jesus. Elizabeth hears her voice from across the house and the baby in her womb goes, oh, it's Jesus and jumps. It's the craziest thing. It's so cool. I, I just love it. So verse 47 or verse 42, I'm sorry. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And then there's this piece. It's called Mary's Song. And I don't know the the melody to it, so I'm just going to read it. And says, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful, excuse me, of the humblest, humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And then it says, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. So Elizabeth is like right on the verge of giving birth when Mary bails on her. No, I mean it like that. Just trying to give you a timeline. But there's something in here I want to read. And I'm going to ask you a question, O'Ryan. And you can um, you can uh, tell me what you think. So it's all the way back to verse 48. It's in the middle of Mary's song. And he says, for he's been, he's, she says, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant and then this piece for now from now on all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things to me for me sorry does that mean we should be worshiping and revering mary what um from now on all generations will call me blessed yeah is i mean i'm blessed yeah does that mean are all generations going to call you blessed if they knew it was good for him. I mean, obviously, <laughs> no, I, obviously she's, and I, I don't mean no arrogance in that, but, no, like, I, no, yeah, I, but I, she's like, she's got, um, she's called, you know, one who highly um, favored, twice. Highly, fa- highly favored by God. So, uh, she, I think she holds a 
high position among men. Like in that, yes. like we should be um, pleased with her faithfulness, her obedience, that uh, her humility, all that, and the, a, a all desire that, amongst ourselves to be highly favored. Yes, like yeah. all that she was, that that she uh, was looked at like this by God. Like we should see that as uh, she lived that, and we should aspire to be that. And I absolutely don't understand how anyone could get from this that we're supposed to pray to her or consider her a higher point in like uh in our view in our spiritual view of like our worldview like she shouldn't she shouldn't be elevated to the point where she's uh even like a demigod i guess i think it was probably the most accurate non-Catholic word to describe what the Catholic view has come to see her as. I mean, in a way, it's like, not quite a God, not quite God level, but still, it's like, no, she's just, she's just an awesome human. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and there are other awesome humans in the Bible. Yeah. There are awesome humans in your life. That's right. That you interact with on a regular basis. That's not to deify them by any means. Um, no, the, the the whole the prayer thing. I mean, like, I just don't get it. I don't either. I don't That's why it. I asked it. Yeah, and if if it's a if it's a a tenant you hold, or you're listening, and you're like, oh no, you guys, that's eh, wrong. You can't support the deification of Mary Scripture. Yeah, quit praying to Mary. I mean, I'm not even sure that she can hear you. Honestly. I don't think she's listening. It's not her. It's not her place. No. No, pray to Jesus. Pray to God. You know, the, some people say, no, don't pray to Jesus. You only pray to the Father. You pray to God in Jesus' name. Sure. You know, that's the, what the rule book says. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but I, you know, I've, I've argued with people that I respect immensely their theological view. Um, and my, f- <laughs> you know, there's an example of prayer to Jesus in the Bible. Yes. Um, the stoning of Stephen. Yeah. Yeah. Stephen prays to Jesus. Yeah. Good enough for him. On his death sentence, good enough for me every day. Yep. Either way, pray to either of them. Yeah, but, but please don't pray to Mary. Not Mary. Uh, please. Okay. We can do better. Okay, now that you've turned us off, we can talk about... No, I'm kidding. Uh, verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. <gasps> That's what the angel said was going to happen. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. The old lady's having a baby. It's probably in all the papers and on the internet and everything else. And so everybody knows. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, no, he's to be called John. And they said to her, that's ridiculous. There's no one among your relatives who has that name, as if that's a reason why we do and don't name a child something. But... You're talking to somebody who's been named the same thing as many succeeding generations before him, preceding generations before him. It's pretty ridiculous. How many did you say? Uh, okay, so there's a discrepancy. Okay. I can tell you what's on my social security card and my birth certificate. Right. I have, in my family tree research, discovered this number is inaccurate. You're Peter some, something or other Willis, the umpteenth. The ninth, legally. Golly. Probably actually only the sixth. Okay. Still quite a bit. Yeah. Beat that. Listeners. But on my birth certificate, it does say nine. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Even though it's... So, like, I could name my child 
whatever the whatever Williams like and then like put like a number at the end the 46 just make up a number yeah it's fine. cool all right i'm not sure it's how legal. the number got messed up i don't i honestly don't well, know well six is a upside IV, down nine not ix it's ix oh it's a solid ix <laughs> okay on both my birth certificate and my social security card it's not even english no it's uh it's on there so um anyway <laughs> so uh, they say to her there's no one among your relatives who had that name and then they made signs to his father I don't know, like billboards or banners or what, but Pointing they made and signs um, to find out what he'd like to name the child. And so he asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was open and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. It's so funny. What if they'd have named him, like, I don't know, Tom? Would Zach Wright never have been able to talk again? Oh, but Bummersville. <laughs> Oops. No one thought to get him a tablet and a pencil. Before now? Yeah, like he's been making signs for nine months. <laughs> this is going downhill fast. Okay, uh, verse 65. Oh, there's a lot of verses in this chapter. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And I'm so glad this is here. Now he gets a solo. I know, but wait, before that, I want to, I think we've talked about this before. Prophecy. What, What is prophecy? No, what does it mean to prophesy? Or, okay, because I, one's like a verb and the other one is a noun, I think. <laughs> That's not what I meant. <laughs> there's a there's a a thought process in modern American Christianity that to prophesy or to be a prophet is to tell of future things. It's a a a declaration of the unknown or yet to be fulfilled. When you look at Scripture, uh, this is one case. Um, Although one could maybe argue, and we'll get into what it says, one could maybe argue that this was telling of things to be. You could always argue that every time, uh, all day but long. There's so many I'm not saying rightfully. I mean, right. if anyone wants to say, oh, that actually means, you know, I mean, they can go start a splinter church that believes that or whatever. People uh, they probably that. already have. Yeah, uh, they'll okay. beat me to it. Yeah, whatever. But there are plenty of instances, like in the book of Acts, where it says so-and-so had uh, five daughters and they all prophesied. Uh, it just... To prophesy in this context, where we see it, particularly in the New Testament, it literally just means to declare the wonders of God. That's what it means. It, I would... Go ahead. Where'd you get your definition? Uh, commentary somewhere. Because I like it. Okay, but, good. But the, the one that stuck with me, and I don't know where I read this, um, but a prophet, spokesperson for God is... It's the simplest little thing, and it stuck with me. If someone is speaking on God's behalf, whether it's explicitly sent or just like you said, uh, just declaring the wonders just declaring, of the truth of God, declaring yeah. God like what? Like if I, if I go to someone and I tell them something that's just in every, every one of our Bibles, but here's here's what God says: I am in that moment a prophet. Yeah. I'm. It's not a special thing. I'm just. I'm just saying. Hey, this is what God says. But, but yeah. I mean, it's funny that it can mean that such a simple thing is just declaring what God 
says. Yeah. But it can, but but that can also has this uh, deeper connotation that most people associate with the word. Yeah, yeah. Most people assume it's to tell of things not known or to tell of future things. Because it's more uh, sensational. Right? It's cooler. So pe- people usually sure. err on the side of more sensational. I, think. I, I would like to know things people don't know. Uh, yeah, I, don't know. I know something you don't know. <laughs> Who doesn't want to do that? I mean, that's we've been taunting each other with that since kindergarten. So, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Verse sixty-eight: Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has come to His people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David, as He said through His holy prophets of long ago: salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, he's speaking of his son John, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And then it says, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. And if you if you read this, and if you look back over what Zechariah said, and you even look through Mary's song, if you will, Mary's song and Zechariah's song, there's so much they talk about the rising up of Jesus and the rising up of the Lord and crushing our enemies and establishing his throne forever and all of this stuff. And you can start to maybe get a glimpse of how they missed the coming of the kingdom of God and Jesus. Remember that Israel in this day, in this time, it's probably anywhere between 4 BC and 4 AD, depending on whose calendar you look at and whose dating system you use. Israel is occupied by Rome. Israel's been overthrown time and time again, but this time Rome is occupying Israel. And, you know, their money's Roman and everything is Roman and and. The once great nation of Israel with her once great kings, the best of all of them ever having been was David, is a shadow of of its former self. And so this coming of the Lord to establish his kingdom of the line of David, you can start to see how they missed it and they were looking for a political power. And they missed that the establishment of the kingdom of God was something he wanted to do in his people and not for his people. And it's just going to set up the rest of the story. Uh, Chapter 2, when we get into it, obviously he's going to talk about the birth of Jesus. And you can see even there how maybe people started to miss it. Um, But it's worth studying and understanding because of the the phenomenal fulfillment of... (laughs) The phenomenal fulfillment of centuries of prophecy, which people telling things not known and not yet to be... Um, happen in the birth of Jesus in so many ways. And we'll talk about it when we get to chapter two. Uh, It's hopefully going to line up just in time for Christmas if you're listening as this stuff gets published. But if you're listening in the middle of July, hey, it's so good. Put on a Santa hat, bake some cookies (laughs) uh, and enjoy. Enjoy.